So uh, it is summer, and it is a Saturday, and it's so good to be God's people together. Amen? I hope that you are blessed this summer as you travel, hopefully get a little bit of time off, hopefully have some good time together and with one another. If you haven't already, would you grab one of these communion packs if you're a follower of Jesus? We also have these Bibles here if you didn't grab one. That's our gift to you if you don't have one. Also want to remind you that we are in the book of Acts, as you see there on the screen. So when you grab a Bible, would you turn or swipe to Acts chapter 11? Acts chapter 11. Kiddos, also want to remind you, we've got these activity bags, and I will echo what Amy said last week, that it is a real gift, and I know it's a real challenge to sometimes worship alongside the little ones, if you're parents or guardians. So just understand that we see you, and we are grateful that you are still making this a part of your weekly rhythm as we follow Jesus together for God's kingdom. So with all that being said, I hope you're joining me in the book of Acts chapter 11. Acts, of course, is the story of how the what? The good news of Jesus, right? Acts, we move to everyone everywhere. And in this middle section of the book of Acts, we do mean everyone. And we do mean everywhere. And in Acts chapter 10, we are seeing the good news cross a lot of boundaries. So at the beginning of Acts chapter 10, you might recall that Peter and Cornelius had a next step to take. I love what you said earlier, Kathy, about how God is not done with this yet. He's still on the move and at work. There's never more love to earn, but there's always a next step to take. And Peter and Cornelius had to take a big step. The second half of Acts chapter 10, we see that they had some crossing the threshold moments. Remember us talking about this last week? Because it's one thing to take a step up to the doorway, but it's another to take that big dramatic step into new territory. That's what we were up to at the second half of Acts chapter 10. And now because of these steps... And because of this crossing the threshold, now we're entering into Acts chapter 11 where Peter's got some splaining to do. You with me on this? Kelly is. Peter's got some explaining to do. He comes back to the Christian community, the newly formed Christian community, and they're trying to catch up to speed with this dramatic revealing of the good news and welcoming of those who had not yet really been welcomed into God's people. So Peter's got some explaining to do, and I won't recap any more of our story because Peter's about to. If you're reading the gospel, the, the, gospel, the book of Acts, and you've just finished reading Acts chapter 10, guess what? It's like somebody hit the repeat track button, and you're going to hear it all again in Acts chapter 11. So let's hear our story and let Peter recap where we've been for us. You with me? Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles, pause real quick, you all remember what that word Gentiles means? Nations, everybody else. So you have these Christians and apostles that have come from the Jewish people, the, the people of God. And they now hear the scuttlebutt (laughs) that these others, the nations, are now in the worshiping community. So, 
they had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, that's a way of saying the Jewish men, the ones who are in, and we'll leave it at that for the time being, criticized him and said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them. You crossed the threshold we hadn't crossed in generations, right? Verse 4, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four-cornered animals, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Pause there. You may remember he was told to eat all the things that his whole family for generations had been told not to eat. You remember this? What a confusing picnic. He gets a word of God that seems to be up against another word of God in the book of Leviticus. Verse 8, Peter replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Don't you love to be so holy, to try to out-holy God himself? The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Verse 10, this happened three times, and then it was pulled up to heaven again. Verse 11, Peter's continuing his story. Right then, three men who had been sent from me to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them, even though he hadn't heard about stranger danger, I guess. The Spirit is building a bridge. The Spirit has been at work in this Gentile household, and the Spirit has sent them to the other end of the bridge, this Jewish man, Peter, and we're going to see and hear what happened. These six brothers also went with me. He's talking about the Jewish believers came, and we entered the man's house. That's the big issue right there, verse 13. He told us, Cornelius... How he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Verse 15, As he began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them and had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Those of you who have red letter editions, it's because he's quoting Jesus, verse 17. So if God gave them the same gift, he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Wow. Finally, verse 18. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say thanks be to God. One of the most important Bible study questions that you could ever ask is this. It's not on the screen, so be ready for it. Why did someone write this down? I think this is one of the most important and sometimes impossible questions to answer, but it's an important one to ask. Why did somebody write this down? It was a huge conversion. 
It was a huge one, but he also wrote it down in chapter 10. So why write it down again and again? Because we hear the same kind of story at least three times. You're right. Write it down. But perhaps for our purposes tonight, why write it down again? And I think one of the answers is that Luke, who is writing to a first generation, right? The the followers that were with Jesus and the ones who were converted from those early followers, the very first OG Christians are hearing this story, maybe by that time the second generation, and they're still trying to get their head around how this Jewish movement with a Jewish king, Jesus who is Jewish, all of a sudden they show up to worship just like we are this evening, and they start to see non-Jewish people. They see people of different ethnicities, different social statuses, and the whole New Testament is trying to explain what Peter is trying to explain in Acts chapter 11. Why did somebody write this down in Acts chapter 11? So that the people hearing the story of Acts can get their heads around the fact that God has built bridges to everyone everywhere. And the rest of the New Testament is trying to catch up to the work of God. The redemptive work of God going to all places. The rest of the New Testament is explaining this incredible move. Why did somebody write this down? That's the first reason to get our heads around it. The second reason, wait just a minute. That's my main idea. I'll get there in a moment. But first, I want to do something together. I want to try to redeem a Christian cultural artifact. How many of you grew up in a church that would be deemed as like evangelical, perhaps? Okay. My guess is if I show you this picture, just a picture, no words, and I'm going to give you one clue, poem. I think I'm, you got it? Okay. I heard it over here. What, what do you think I'm talking about? A Christian cultural artifact. Footprints in the sand. Raise your hand if you heard the poem, Footprints in the Sand. Okay, a lot of you. Even some of you that didn't raise your hand the first time as far as growing up in a church. I'm going to read to you a famous poem that I've since learned this week is hotly contested as to who wrote it originally. So I'm going to read you this poem, but chances are you've heard it, and I want to redeem it. Okay, here we go. One night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. See that? Just like that, summer, beautiful. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other to whom? The Lord, Jesus. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times of his life. What could that be about? No spoilers yet. This really bothered him, and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I have noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there is only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you the most, you would leave me. Let's pause there because part of our redemption of this poem is that could very well be a prayer that you and I have prayed at some of the saddest and lowest parts of our life. 
So don't hate on it just because you've heard it a million times. That's real talk. The Lord replied, here's the final stanza of the poem Footprints in the Stand. My son, my precious child, I love you and I would never leave you during your times of trial and suffering. I see only one set of footprints. It was then that what? I carried you. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. We want to <laughs> we redeem this poem because you know why? Y'all were giving me a few shout outs this evening. Thank you. But I need to give Kelly a shout out because while we were rehearsing, I told her the songs that she picked, Another in the Fire, and The Goodness of God, are effectively versions of this poem. The fact that it's possible to go through our life and maybe not in a dream sequence on the beach, seeing the scenes of our life flash before our eyes, but it is possible to go back and look through the scenes and stories and hills and valleys of our life and find that there is another in the fire and that he has been good and I've seen the goodness of God even and especially in the lowest parts of our life. You with me on this? Boy, we talk about this a lot in our church. Why? Because our everyday life is filled with hills and valleys and that reminded that God is present with us within them. Are you with me on that? Now, before we return to our text, I need you to understand a few big concepts for me before we get to our big idea. The way that we understand divine activity, the way we understand how God is at, works, at work in our lives is sometimes in the present tense. How many of you can think right now, like I have a moment this week where I had a moment where I just kind of paused and stopped and thought, okay, this feels like God is with me and I'm kind of in step with him. Have you had this kind of moment this week? Okay. That happens some of the times. The degree to which we're walking in step with the Spirit, as Galatians 5 says. But most of the time, listen here, how many of you have lived a little bit of life, you've gone through a season, and you finally put your head up above water and you catch your breath and you say, man, that was crazy. And only upon reflection, that was you, look back and say, oh, Man, that, that, that was really amazing. Now, and only now, can I see that God was with me there. It was there that he carried you. Show of hands. In the past tense, right? I think if we're honest, most of us struggle to live in the present tense to have a sense, oh yeah, you're with me, oh yeah, I'm with you. Most of us, we kind of just survive, and we come up for air, and we look back and we say, oh yeah, Thank you, God, that that didn't overwhelm me. Thank you now that I see there was another in the fire standing next to me. Amen? Let me push this a little bit further. Do we understand that this book I'm holding in my hands, Scripture, is a story, a record of God's people coming up for air, looking back on their real everyday lives and grappling divine activity in their life. And then they wrote it down. You understand this? We believe that the scriptures are inspired and written by God and man, but they are inspired history and lived experience. 
And sometimes you get to the prophets, and these are the guys in the present tense discerning what is happening around them, and they're trying to give voice to the divine expression and experience. But understand this book you're holding in your hand is real people grappling with the unseen God and his activity. Dig this, and then we're going to get to our big idea and talk about Acts 11. They look back at the fingerprints and footprints of God in the past. They pause and look around for his presence in the moment. And sometimes they look forward to discern the trajectory of God's movement. You with me on this? Here's our big idea. You turn telling and retelling your story helps you turn around and find the footprints of God along your path. Let me add to that. It also helps you discern their direction moving forward. I have a couple of small little ushers that are going to now pass out to you a small little handout that has this idea and some questions to jog your memory. So even as I'm talking, you can begin to look at this handout. I just got to keep it spicy and keep it moving. So thank you, Emma and Nora, for passing these out. The reason why I'm trying to reclaim and redeem the footprints on the sand poem is because in your life, what would it look like to train yourself to look back at your real, lived, everyday experience and see the fingerprints and footprints of God in your life? So at that moment, you can say, oh yeah, I am not alone and God is not done. The problem comes when we enter into the fire and the hills and valleys and we forgot that he is with us and his footprints are walking along the path beside us. In Acts 10 and 11, we see an enormous shift, a generational shift. God's people have been doing one thing a certain way for generations. And all of a sudden, because of, get this, y'all ready? Because of one guy's mystical experience, Gentiles are welcomed into the life of the Holy Spirit and faith. They don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to eat kosher. They don't have to follow the law of Moses. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was on a move and one guy got a mystical experience. Are you with me on this? Because I could say it again. But we're still not going to really understand how outrageously enormous this shift who are following is. So that's why Peter has to go back to the church who are following along this way with him. Because to be a Christian is to be in relationship with God and God's people. Because there's too many one another's in this holy book. There's too many one another's to love and serve and bear with that lead us to believe you can't really do it alone. So he has to go back to the one another's and say, here's why I believe God was in the midst and he's gonna turn around, look, and retell his story so that they may find the footprints of God along their path. You with me on all that? Cool. Let's talk briefly about the movement and expansion of Israel in Acts chapter 11. The big issue, do you remember in our text? Why would you go into that house? Why would you bypass our laws? They're following Jesus. Understand this. They're following Jesus. 
but they're following Jesus so freshly given them, so trying to understand how that relates to the Mosaic law that God had given them in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It was so fresh, and Jesus had so revolutionized the fact that you could find life in him, and maybe you don't have to offer a sacrifice anymore. They started to understand that. Now they're starting to think, oh, well, maybe we don't have to eat like this anymore. But Peter goes back to these people because this wasn't just a quirky religious thing. This was a survival mechanism. Remember that Rome was in charge Remember that they were living in a pluralistic society where people did all different kinds of things and worshipped all different kinds of gods. So the people of Israel, it was a survival mechanism that if we hold on to our culture, our language, our faith, our God, we can survive. But if not, well, we don't even want to think about it. So listen to me. They're doing the right thing. When Peter, Gentile, Jesus, the Jewish king who went first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, which we read a passage of Scripture in Romans last week that pointed to that, is starting to bypass the Jewish customs, you got to explain yourself. They're doing the right thing to grapple with the divine in real, everyday life. So we need to hear your story again. All right. A couple weeks ago, I had this rudimentary uh, illustration that I think helps get at what's happening. Everybody hold up your left hand. This is a hand that represents the Word of God. And this hand is important because I'm using one hand and one word to represent not only Scripture, the Word of God, but who else? The Word, Jesus. In John chapter 1, the Word of God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. So we have the Word of God, the testimony of Scripture, and the example of Jesus, who is the capital W Word of God. You can't understand the words of God unless you understand and get it through the filter of Jesus, the Word of God. That's on one hand, okay? We have to have these kinds of new things, new works, rooted in the Word of God, which is Scripture and the person and example of Jesus, Check. Ooh, you good, Wendell? Ouch. Hold up your right hand. Your right hand is also the people of God. So we have the Word of God, and now we have the people of God. Ask yourself, when Joseph Smith receives in another mystical encounter and starts Mormonism, does it square with the Word of God and the example of Jesus in the Word of God? Eh, And then, on the other hand, is it affirmed by the historic people of God that have been grappling with the divine and trying to follow the way of Jesus and love God and love their neighbor? And if this is... So now, if you have the word of God, is it rooted in the word of God? And if is it affirmed by the people of God, now put your hands together. Oh, beautiful, Miguel. In all of that, because you still can't understand the divine so perfectly you have to be soaked and saturated and discerned in prayer understand that Peter had a trajectory where God was going to bless all nations in the word of God he saw Jesus the word of God going to all different kinds of outcast people he says this seems like something Jesus would do and God has always intended to do you with me
Then he has to go to these people and say, guys, what do you think, man? Let me tell you my story. And it's going to end because this was received in prayer from Peter, received in prayer from Cornelius, and it's going to end in praise with these people. I think our story checks out. You with me on this? This is why some of the other stories of not and half-truth kind of other Christian sects may not be as orthodox as what we're seeing here. I love what Catholic mystic writer Ilya Dalo says. She says that God is doing new things, Jesus proclaimed, but only those with new minds and hearts can see a new world breaking through the cracks of the old. Friends, Peter goes to these people because they've been given new minds and new hearts and they can see and recognize the movement of God because they see its trajectory in the word of God. It's becoming affirmed by the people of God and they're praying enough to recognize the footprints of God even breaking through the cracks of the old right now. God is doing a new thing. Amen? So they listen and they test the fruit. So then Peter retells verse four, the story, but he retells it with a couple of new nuggets. Y'all make note of verse 14. I don't have time to read it again, but look at verse 14. If you went back to Acts chapter 10, you would not hear Peter telling you that they were going to receive a word that would lead to salvation for both he and all your household. Did you notice that? It's like Peter had paused and looked back over the last heady few days and remembered, oh yeah, this is going to lead to salvation. Second nugget to make note of in verse 15 and 16. He said, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon us even before I got done with my intro and series slide that says Acts is the story of the good. You with me on this? He's saying it happened so quick as if to say we had very little to do with it. The Holy Spirit knew all over this. Peter is retelling his story and seeing new footprints of the work of God. As we wind down, I want to tell you a story about my life, and I want to ask you about some stories in your life. Many of you know, some of you might not, it's been a minute, the story of how we wound up at this church and in this community. I was a part of a church, Amy and I, with just little baby Emma, and I think Nora was not even born yet. And it was a church that had three services on a Sunday. And I was a worship leader and young adult pastor and kind of did this and that and the other. But I had to be at all three of those services. And so in between the second and the third, I ran home to our house in East Dallas around White Rock to walk our dog, Doug the Pug. He's no longer with us, but he's with another home. But I was walking Doug the Pug and in our rec center, in the out of the red, I noticed one church plant packing up their stuff and moving out of the rec center while literally another church was waiting to move their stuff in and hold their service afterward. 
And I remember sitting there thinking as Doug the pug was bebopping around, breathing heavily because he was a pug and he was struggling. And I thought, man, that's pretty crazy. We got not one but two churches that meet there. We got this kind of church there and that kind of church and then that kind of church and then that kind of church. And I just thought about how in one square mile we had all the kinds of churches Pick your poison. You could have any flavor of church you liked. And yet I started saying, but they don't know Jesus. And across the street, they don't know Jesus. And across the street there, they don't know Jesus. And boy, that's kind of crazy. And I began to kind of ponder anew like, man, (sighs) is this the place where we need to be? Maybe there's still a lot of people that don't know Jesus. But like, I've actually never really considered where I should live and minister after the I was going to be in Dallas in the Dallas area so I came home that night we after the third service and Amy and I were sitting down and I remember saying I have this crazy thought and it's the kind of thought that you don't even want to verbalize because if you say it it becomes real and you have to like answer for it but I went out there and I said listen it's crazy we've got a brand new little baby and another one on the way but I think maybe we need to be open to leaving and being anywhere. And as I said that, she stopped me and basically finished my sentence because the night before she had had a dream that in which she felt kind of released and opened up to see what God had next. Then I get a text message from a pastor in Montreal, Canada. He was a sister church of that church, and we had visited there once or twice before. And he said, hey, super short notice, I'm in town, you want to grab lunch somewhere on Monday, the next day. And I said, sure. The very next day, we have a three-hour lunch, and he says, what do you think? Would you be open to moving and going with me to Canada to plant a church, to be an apprentice, to learn for two years? And he said, by the way, this church is called, we're changing our name, it's called Providence Community Church in Montreal, Canada. And around that time, I thought, that's crazy, because God didn't even give me 12 hours of being open before we get this random lunch. I don't have lunches like this, ever. So, only then, after that lunch, does a phone call I had made previously get returned from a pastor named Mark at a church in Plano called Providence Community Church. And he said, would you come for two years, be an apprentice, preach a little, kind of help free me up, come and do this thing. And literally within a couple weeks, we were like, that's crazy. We kind of both have this moment where we think we're open. And then it's like, boom, Providence, Montreal, boom, Providence, Plano. And the rest of the story is a history in which we now look back And see footprints of God that led us to these people in this place in what was to become the neighborhood church. That at the end in November, I believe, will celebrate five years as the neighborhood church. Or was that last year? Six years. Oh, how time flies. COVID year doesn't count. The point of the story is... As I've said before, too, from Jose Humphreys in Harlem, he says, sometimes our openness is the penultimate material that God uses to do a new thing. Do you know what that word penultimate means? The next to last thing. Peter 
and his openness was the next to last thing before God broke open the doors and the good news of God and the life-giving spirit flooded out to all nations and it left the church upon hearing with the question, you ready? Who are we to stand in their way? Are we going to stand against God because he's on the move to everyone everywhere? It sounds like him, smells like him. I'm seeing his footprints and fingerprints. So to go against his flow is to go against the life-giving God. And this is only discerned when we tell and retell our stories to find the footprints of God. Now, your turn. As we wind down, I want you to look at that handout and consider your own story. Now, in a moment of response, tonight, tomorrow, think of a season that felt like a big next step, a crossing the threshold moment, all the stuff we've been talking about the last couple weeks, and consider... Do you now recognize some some examples? You see those on the handout? A moment that you avoided some disaster. That, oh man, if I had kept running and gone through, boy, now and only now do I recognize that would have been a disaster. If I had taken that job, you with me on this? If I had moved to that place. And by the way, that's not to say that God couldn't have used us in Montreal. Oh Lord, we loved Montreal. But now we see the footprints and the direction that led us to this place and this people with the mission that you and I have together. Do you recognize a time that you were carried, right? Through physical, relational, financial, mental, or emotional difficulty. If you can't, I can, Pastor Bud can, your group leader can, the people in the church can. We can remind you because we've seen those stories and the fingerprints of God in your life. Amen? Have you looked back and recognized the moment you connected to someone or some community that brought new life and growth into you and your journey with God? Amen? How about a moment you look back and recognize that you received some unforeseen blessing that appeared just around the corner? You thought that you needed and wanted and had to have this thing now until you only now recognize that that thing is actually what you really, really needed. Finally, can you look back in a time where you now recognize you landed in the right place and at the right time? These are ways that you can, like a crime scene detective tracking the divine, look for the footprints of God in the path that was, and by God's grace, you would also have the presence and wherewithal to see the direction they're headed and keep walking with him. They saw the footprints of God. They could not deny God's work in their midst. And another miracle happened. The good religious people that saw a new thing happen in their midst shut their mouths and just stood in silence. I guess God, until they erupted in praise of God. And they said, well, I guess God is bringing new life to those folks we never thought. And it was reason to praise. Why? Because the same gracious God, the same reconciling king, 
the same liberating spirit of the Jewish people they'd known for ages, of a particular holy people, guess what? Keeps finding a way, even in the midst of human distinction and detachment and division. So take heart, church. America and its church isn't done with yet. The Holy Spirit is going to still find a way to liberate people. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of our gracious and loving Father. We haven't screwed it up yet. And by God's grace and his power, bringing despite us and even with us, he will keep bringing good news to everyone everywhere. So finally, I'll leave this with you. In a moment of reflection, when Kathy is about to lead us in the Lord's table, maybe you want to consider as you hold those elements and Maybe as we sing about the master's calling, consider this. Where do you see God's footprints in the path that you've been walking lately? And for just a moment of stillness and silence, as you hold one hand of God's word and the other hand affirmed by God's people in prayer. And you know the kind of prayer I'm talking about where you really kind of can sink in and, and get into a place where your mind starts to still and focus. Could you get yourself long enough to that place tonight or this week to really sit and discern and say, okay, which direction are God's footprints headed in your life this week, this season? We keep talking about how we're emerging out of the pandemic and what life is going to look like. Well, God, will you help give that shape? I pray that you would tell and retell your story and that it helps you turn around and find the footprints of God along your path, that you may discern their direction moving forward, that we would go with Jesus who has gone ahead of us, to bring the good news to everyone everywhere, confident that he is with us, that we are not alone, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, and the one who walked so long ago is walking still, and the one who spoke so long ago is speaking still, and that we would lean in and listen and have courage enough to walk. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. And so at this point, if you will please rise and receive the benediction. May God, who comes to us in the things of this world, bless your eyes and be in your seeing. May Christ, who looks upon you with the deepest love, bless your eyes and widen your gaze. May the Spirit, who perceives what is and what may yet be, bless your eyes and sharpen your vision. May the sacred three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless your eyes and cause you to see. Go in peace.